When I was a kid, uh, we had a large oval, heavy dining room table with the, the kind with the ornamental legs underneath. Now, we hardly ever ate there. Usually we ate at the kitchen table, but there were special occasions, holidays, times when extended family would come to our house or uh, some friends would come over to our house and we would eat in the dining room. And, and normally what would happen is my mom would say to my dad that he needed to add a leaf to the table. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know what a leaf was. You all know what it is. Uh, so my dad would go, if memory serves, he would go to their bedroom where the leaf was stored under their table uh, because we're fancy people and we have fancy places to put things. So he'd pull the leaf out from under their bed, bring it downstairs, and then he would pull apart the table. It, it, it had a line in the middle, and so he would pull the two sides apart. The extension, the leaf, was about a foot wide and it was the the length of the width of the table so you know how it works he would put the extension in the middle of the table and then he would push the two sides together and we had more room at the table occasionally I, I, I believe this particular table you could put two leaves or leaves I'm not sure which it is you, you could put two extensions in the table make it even larger pull it apart put the other extension in push it together and now you had even more room for more people around the table. And of course, once you made the table larger, you'd have to go, we'd have to go find where the other chairs were in the house and bring those to the table so that we could get more people around the table, right? We, we have to make room for more people at the table and sometimes that takes effort sometimes that means going upstairs and finding the extension and putting it in and bringing the chairs it takes a little more effort to make room for more people around the table but it's worth the effort it's worth the time that it takes so that more people can come to the table. Now, our, our regular table, as it was normally set up, was very comfortable, just like yours is. It's a comfortable size. There are a comfortable number of chairs around it. Nobody's crowded. As a matter of fact, if your family's like ours, everybody has their own chair. And it, it wasn't a formal process of assigning people a chair, most likely. Uh, probably what happened in your house is the same thing that happened in my house. When you first bought the house and you put your table in there, or maybe you bought a new table and you brought it in and you put the chairs around it for the first time, when you served the first meal at the table, everybody just picked a chair. And then that became their chair. Because now, again, nobody gives instructions. There's not a name tag by every chair. It's just everybody goes to the same chair. That's the way our, our normal table is. It's very comfortable. We, we know where everybody sits. Everybody has their place. Nobody's crowded. But sometimes you have to stretch things. You have to expand things. When you have company over, you add chairs and you sit a little closer so that you can visit with people, so, so that you can have a relationship with people. Extending the table, adding chairs shakes things up a little bit. Jesus was excellent at shaking things up in general, but definitely shaking things up around the table. Jesus often made room for more people at his table. Jesus often invited people to his table that other people wouldn't invite. 
Jesus often left people wondering, why did you invite those people to your table? Jesus just kind of shook things up when he extended his table, moved the chairs around. Jesus often changed up the places around the table. We see this in a lot of Jesus' stories about having a meal. How he switched up who was at the head of the table and who was in the right spot or the wrong spot. Jesus kind of shifted all of that around. We find that in in one particular story that I want to study today from Luke chapter 5. Luke is one of the Gospels. It's a story about Jesus' life. And it's the third book of the New Testament, that second big section in your Bible. It starts Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Luke's telling the story of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is beginning to call his disciples. He's beginning to say to, to people, follow me, become one of my learners, become one of my followers. And at the beginning of chapter 5, he calls Peter, and a lot of us are familiar with Peter. And then he heals somebody with leprosy. He heals a paralyzed person. And then there's this encounter with a man who's going to become one of Jesus' disciples. His name is Levi. We find his story in verse 27 of Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Now just background, context, some of you may be familiar with this, but in Jesus' day, tax collectors were despised. If you hear the word tax collector and and you think accountant, Uh, or you think financial advisor, or even if you think auditor or compliance officer, you're not even close. Not even close. They weren't just despised for the job that they did. They were despised for who they had become. Because they had become traitors. In the mind of all the other Jewish people, they worked for Rome. They collected taxes for Rome who was the enemy, in the mind of Jewish people, Rome had occupied the land that belonged to the Jews, and now they were taxing them heavily. And if you were a Jewish person who participated in that, you were despised. You were a traitor. And often it was believed that these Jewish tax collectors would not only collect taxes for Rome, but they'd kind of skim off the top. They'd add a percentage point or two so that they could pad their own pockets. Tax collectors were looked on with suspicion. Like they weren't trusted. Nobody wanted to be around a tax collector. If you saw a tax collector coming down the street, you'd cross over to the other side. You didn't want to walk past a tax collector. They were just suspicious people. They were, they were bad people. The Talmud is a collection of rabbinical interpretations. The rabbis would make interpretations of the Old Testament scripture and the Old Testament law. And they collected these interpretations in the Talmud. The Talmud refers to tax collectors as robbers. They're just thieves. They're just taking our money for themselves and giving money to Rome. They were despised. Well, Jesus on this day meets a tax collector. 
and invites this tax collector by the name of Levi to follow him, and he does. The scripture says Levi left everything that he was doing, his career, his future, and although they were despised, it was a lucrative career. I mean, it was a way to make a lot of money. You were financially set and protected by Rome if you were a tax collector. That was a good gig, except nobody liked you. Levi walks away from it. It makes me think that Jesus and Levi must have had some previous interactions. Levi had heard Jesus teach before, or he was familiar with the way Jesus was healing people. He, he was intrigued by Jesus. He had heard stories of Jesus. Maybe they'd had a conversation before. Because to make this sudden change makes me think he had already had some previous interaction with Jesus. Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. Levi leaves everything and follows Jesus. Jesus. Then there's an, an interesting second part to the story. This is what the Bible says in verse 29. Then Levi, after he decided to leave everything and follow Jesus, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Levi is so challenged and changed by this Jesus that he decides not only does he want to celebrate Jesus he wants to invite all of his friends to this party and you got to think people typically didn't party with tax collectors I'm guessing Levi had not been invited to a lot of parties his social calendar was pretty clear because he was a tax collector and so he throws this huge party for Jesus, invites all of his tax collector friends because they're not going to parties either. Nobody likes them. Nobody's inviting them. So Levi says, well, let's have our own party and let's celebrate with Jesus. Let's sit down. Let's have a meal. Let's get around the table. We'll add an extension. We'll bring in chairs. Let's all get to know this Jesus. And sitting down at a table and sharing a meal in Jesus' day, it really meant something. Right? It, it, it wasn't just symbolic. It wasn't just an obligation. To sit down and have a meal with somebody was to establish a friendship with them, to say we're connected, we're in a relationship. Jesus sat down at the table as if to say, I'm with you, I see you. I'm for you. When I look at you, I don't cross to the other side of the street. I don't turn away from you. I'm with you. Maybe nobody else sits down at the table with you, but Jesus was willing to sit down at the table with tax collectors and say, I'm for you. I'm on your side. I love you. I want to be a friend to you. Have you, have you ever accepted a meal invitation, a dinner invitation, lunch invitation, or extended a dinner invitation out of obligation. You thought, well, I'm going to have to do this. They keep inviting me. I keep coming up with excuses. I can't come up with more excuses. I'm going to have to go to dinner with them. You ever have one of those sort of obligatory dinners they ask us over to their house we should ask them over to our house not because we want to not because we're excited about it we feel obligated to have a meal with them yeah that's not the way it was for jesus that's not the way it was in the first century to accept this invitation to sit down at the table was to say i'm for you i'm with you 
I'm on your side. I I want the best for you. We're, We're friends. We're in a relationship. And I just have to wonder, how many times had Levi and his friends ever experienced that? I mean, maybe with each other, but outside of their close, their protected group of other tax collectors that were looked on with suspicion. Outside of that group, how many times had someone sat down with them and said, you know what, I'm, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm on your side. I want the best for you. Pro- probably not many times. They probably weren't familiar with this. But they probably were familiar with the reaction of another group of people that we meet in the very next verse. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect, belong to their group, complain to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors and sinners was sort of its own category. It's the way you said those are the really bad people. It was the category for the worst people, the people I dislike the most, the people I mistrust the most. They went under the category of tax collectors and sinners. Their question really was, why would you eat with them? Why would you go to their house? Why would you be friends with those people? Those people aren't like us. They see things differently. They believe different things. They they have different values than we do. They have different opinions than we do. Why would you sit with those people? They look at the government different from the way we look at the government. Why would you have a meal with those people? Here's the reality about the religious leaders. The religious leaders didn't have a leaf for their table. They... They didn't expand their table. They never brought in an extra chair. For the religious leaders, everybody had assigned seating at their table. Everybody had a name tag. They had already decided who could be in and who was out. Who could sit down with them and who couldn't. How many seats there were around the table? It was a guarded table. It was a protected table they never brought out the leaf and made more room and brought in more chairs and that was the the point of their question why would you make room for those people why would you sit down with those people and then Jesus shows up in this society of closed tables and says no we're going to open this thing wide open And we're going to bring in as many chairs as we need. He he didn't have one leaf. He had all the leaves, all of the extensions. We will make this table as big as we need to make it so that more and more people can sit at the table. See, for Jesus, Jesus often used the table for subversive purposes. Jesus was often doing more than just having a meal. And he was often doing more than just extending love and grace to the people who were sitting at the table. Jesus was often sending a message to the people who wouldn't come sit at the table. Jesus was often challenging their prejudices, their biases, their legalism. Jesus was often challenging their view of the world. If you want to stay at a distance, that's 
fine, but I'm going to teach you some lessons by this table as well. And the biggest lesson is there's room for a lot of people at this table. I'm going to invite a lot of people to this table. The religious leaders, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't come to the table. And that wasn't because Jesus wouldn't allow them at the table. Jesus would have brought another chair for, for them if they wanted to come. They refused to sit down with those people. And really, it, it, it wasn't the Pharisees' righteousness that kept them from the table. It was their arrogance. It wasn't that they were holy. They were more godly. They were just arrogant. They, they felt they were better than the people Jesus chose to have a meal with. They, they felt that God loved them more than the people Jesus was inviting to the table. It wasn't their righteousness. It's their arrogance. They were, they were too arrogant to sit down with another human being that God loved and wanted a relationship with. They just kept asking, why would you eat with them? Why would you sit down with those people? And notice, they posed the question to the disciples, not to Jesus. For whatever reason, maybe the disciples were coming in and out of the room. They posed the question to the disciples, and, and, and as I was reading this, I, I was reminded, the disciples are all brand new. Jesus has just started calling the disciples, and I, I, I kind of picture the disciples responding to the question like, we, we don't know, we're new. Like for some of us, this is our first day on the job. We haven't read all the personnel policy yet. We, I, we don't really know. Maybe you should ask him. And Jesus not only overheard the question, but I think Jesus knew that his disciples weren't quite ready to answer that question. And so Jesus steps up and answers it for them. And here's his answer in verses 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I didn't come to fix people who don't realize they're broken. That's not who I'm here for. I, I didn't come to help people who stand on the outside and criticize everybody who comes to the table. That's not who I'm here for. I, I didn't come for the people who are so arrogant that they don't realize they need my help. Instead, Jesus sits with a table full of outcasts, a table full of the despised, a table full of people who fit under the category of the really bad people. And Jesus said, these are my people. These are the people I came for. These people realize they're sick and they want help. These people realize their life is messed up and, and they, they want someone to help them put it back together. These people realize they've got hang-ups and mess-ups and they've tripped up and they want to come to somebody who can help them resolve all of that, who can offer them forgiveness for all of that. These are my people and I will keep adding chairs until they all have a seat. Look, I want to I challenge us as we're thinking about the table, as we're seeing how Jesus approached and used 
the table. Who's that person that's maybe outside of our circle that we need to meet at the table? We need to invite to the table. Who's that, who's that person? And maybe we don't see the world the same way right now. Maybe there's even some biases and prejudice between us and them or them and us. And what would begin to bridge that gap is the table. If we offered a sincere invitation, look, hey, would you join me? Can we have lunch together? Can we have dinner together? I, I, I'm for you. I'm, I'm with you. I, I want to know more about you. We began to establish a relationship because we were willing to add a little extension to our safe table. We were, we were willing to add a couple of chairs to our predictable safe table in the way that Jesus did. Now, now let's, let's be clear. We're not Jesus in this story. Right? We're never Jesus in the story. If, if you want to know how to interpret the Gospels, we're not Jesus. We should be like Jesus in that we should be inviting people to the table. But if we're like anybody in the story, we're like Matthew. Like we're, we're one sick person inviting other sick people to the table so hopefully both of us can find the doctor. We're broken people inviting other broken people to the table. So maybe we could get closer to Jesus, who's the healer. We're people who've messed up inviting other people who have messed up to be our friend, to be with us, to walk through life with us, so that maybe both of us would get closer to the one who can heal all of those hurts and can forgive all of those mess ups and can offer grace to all of those places in our life. The, the challenge is, like the Pharisees, we tend to invite safe people to our table. We tend to invite people who we already know how they feel. We, we already know they agree with us. We already know they're on our side. We already know they see things the way we see them. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus was making the table bigger and saying, yeah, come on, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's get close. You and I need to be like that. We need to be invited. Who is that person for you? Don't think of 10 people or five people. Like, who's someone that maybe you've never considered inviting to lunch that you need to invite to lunch soon. You need to listen to soon. You need to sit at the table. And if somebody sees you with this person and wonders what you're doing, then maybe that means you're being like Jesus. If somebody sees you in the restaurant and wonders, why are you sitting with them? Maybe that means you're being a little more like Jesus because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Look, I know we're not all comfortable going back to restaurants yet. We're not all comfortable inviting people to our homes or going into other people's homes. But this is going to be gone one day. Right? We're, we're going to be past this one day. And that's when we're going to have to decide, will our table look safe and comfortable? Or will it look like the tables that Jesus sat at? That were ever expanding. That caused people to ask questions when they saw the table. Here's an interesting thing to think about. We never know what one meal might lead to. We just don't ever know where one meal is going to lead. What God might do in us, 
what God might do in the person that we invited. Matthew's, Levi sits down with Jesus at the table. Luke calls him Levi. He's, he's also called Matthew. If you go back in your Bible two books, you'll find a book called Matthew. This is the guy that wrote that book. A, a, a tax collector, a really bad person in the really bad list who throws a party for Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus, and then decides, just like he invited all of his tax collector friends, Matthew then decides, I want to tell everybody about this Jesus. I want them to know who he is and and what he did. So he writes the story of Jesus, and we call it the book of Matthew, the first book of our New Testament. Specifically, Matthew wrote this book so that more Jewish people like himself would believe in Jesus. Because many of them didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, in a strange way, Matthew wrote a book to try to convince the religious leaders who didn't like him and didn't accept him and didn't want to be around him. Like Matthew's heart was so full of compassion, he writes a book to say, no, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to believe he is the Messiah, when you start reading the book of Matthew, you find that he starts with that lengthy genealogy. And I know some of us get kind of bored in that. The reason he started with that genealogy is because he's writing to a Jewish audience. And he's trying to say to them, look, this Jesus came from Abraham. He came from David. He fulfills all of the prophecies that the Old Testament prophets said about him. When Matthew begins to write the Christmas story, he keeps interrupting himself To say, this happened just the way Isaiah said it would. This happened just the way Micah said it would. This happened just the way Hosea said it would. Why does he do that? Because he looks around at his Jewish brothers and sisters and he wants them at the table. He wants even the religious leaders who rejected him. He wants them to discover the Jesus that he discovered. You never know what one meal, one moment at the table... A couple of months of consistently sitting down with someone. You never know what's going to happen in that person's life. You never know what's going to happen in your life as a result of that. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he's still inviting people to the table. He still has more chairs and more extensions and a bigger and bigger table. He's still saying, you can come. You can come. If you want to come to the table, you can come. If you want to be in relationship with Jesus, you can be in relationship with With Jesus, if you've never accepted this invitation, maybe you've been standing around the outside, not because you're arrogant, not because you're like the religious leaders, you just weren't sure, you were suspicious, or you were holding back, or or you were afraid. I'm telling you, today, Jesus is once again saying, you can come, you can sit down. Jesus is saying, I'm for you, I'm with you, I love you. I want to be a part of your life. You just have to say yes. You just have to come to that point where you say, yes, I'll sit out, I'll stay, I'll eat, I'll be a part of this. Like I said, we're, we're all just sick people trying to get to the doctor that's Jesus. We're all broken people. Like if you sit down at the table, it's not going to be you and a bunch of perfect people. We're all broken people. And we're gathered around the one that's the healer and the mender and the forgiver of our souls. You just need to say yes. You just need to realize you're one of us, right? You're one of the broken ones too. You're one of the sick ones too. You're one of the messed up ones too. 
and bring all of your brokenness and sickness and, and messed upness, just bring it all to Jesus and believe that his life and death and resurrection forgives and, and puts back together all of those pieces of your life. He offers eternal life to you. You'll just say yes. You'll just come to the table. Well, if you've never done that, to, today is the day for you to say, yes, Jesus, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to stand at a distance. I'm coming to the table. Another broken person, another sick person, but I believe Jesus is the healer. I believe he'll forgive me of my sin. I believe he'll offer me eternal life. Do that today. If you've never sat down at this table, if you've never accepted this invitation, God, thank you so much for the heart of Jesus. There was always to have a bigger table and more chairs. That no one was to ever get comfortable with their spot because we're always supposed to be making room for more spots and more people. And more broken people like us who are just coming to Jesus who's the healer. So I pray if there's anyone who's never done that, who's never accepted Christ and never received this invitation Put away their fears, put, put away uh, their misgivings, uh, put away their distance from him and just come into relationship with Jesus. Let it be today. Let it be today. God, for those of us who we came to the t- table sick and, and broken and we've experienced the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, help us to invite more people to our table. Help us to sit down with people that maybe we wouldn't normally sit down with just because we love them the way Jesus loves people. Help us to invite more people to the table. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.